This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello and welcome to the latest Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I'm your host Joe River and today I'm joined by Theo Squires. How are you Theo? Not too bad, how are you? I'm not too bad, I'm not too bad. I'm Beth Lindop, how are you? Very good, thank you. Well, we're here to discuss another Reds win. Um, two in a row now at Anfield, 3-0 against Nottingham Forest yesterday, Theo. Um, three in a row at Anfield. Three in a row at Anfield, sorry, sorry, I just went two in a row since the international break, but <laughs> well corrected. Um, that is since the international break, we've had Europa. I'm not counting Europa, come on, you can't be doing that, Theo, we can't mix it up. I, I'm, I'm talking about the league, two in a row in the league at Anfield, um, so I was right. Um, <laughs> but there was felt something routine about yesterday, I mean, we, we've kind of, there hasn't been too many routine wins this season, for, for various reasons, sendings off, VAR, controversy, all these sorts of things, but um, but yeah, felt routine, seemed to be quite nice, we could all sit back and enjoy it. Um, is that the way it felt at Anfield? Yeah, it was kind of like the Toulouse game in the sense that it was a stroll in the park for Liverpool. They didn't need to be at their best, mm-hmm. but they knew they'd get the job done. Same as Everton, really. You just know the goal's going to come, they're going to have the lead, and then they're going to get the win. Like, it was a slightly different atmosphere with everything going on with Luis Diaz. Like, yeah. I don't think the crowd were fully engaged for obvious reasons. It's like, obviously, football is not the most important thing here. Mm-hmm. You could tell when the celebrations for the first goal, the bench didn't quite go as crazy yeah, as they would. Yeah. It was very emotional. It was a nice touch. It was it? a very nice touch for like getting the shirt out. and You could see how much it meant to all of them. And then it was the relief at the final whistle where Klopp does his fist pumps. Like Normally, you wouldn't do that for a routine 3-0 win over Forest this early in the season. Mm-hmm. They've given them a little bit of fight, mm-hmm. but uh, there wasn't really many moments where you think Forrest are going to cause Liverpool problems yeah. here. Like, they had a bit of pace up front with Alanga, but he was in Van Dyke's back pocket for start to finish pretty much. It looked a bit more dangerous when Awani o- came on, but at the same time, Liverpool just were in control. And, you know, they've got so many good attacking options. They're going to interrupt him quickly. I'm surprised he didn't start because he, he, he's thought... been injured. Oh, has he been injured? That's he's been injured for the last okay. couple. Like, it was a surprise yeah. he was in the match day squad, to be fair, because yeah, yeah. they were saying last week he'd be out for another two, three weeks. Yeah. Um, I think it was a, a groin injury, yeah. which is what he had last year and he was out for a while. Mm-hmm. But obviously, when you're a side like Forrest, you need a big striker who can cause. Uh, and he, and he did cause Liverpool he a did. lot of issues last year. So Yeah, yeah last year. And he was more of a menace this year as well without really getting that, mm-hmm. that chance. But. That Liverpool was just cruise control for them. Like we saw last year, it was a 3-2 narrow game where they had to really dig in to get it. And they weren't at the best again yesterday. But for it to be a routine 3-0 shows how much they've come on since April. Yeah, I mean, it's been it's been easy to pod about a lot of the games this season, Beth, because for all the different incidents that we could get into, there isn't as much, you know, I've got a few things scribbled down, but there isn't as much. But um, what stood out for you? Who stood out for you? Um, and, and yeah... Um, did you get the same routine vibes as, as Theo? Yeah, I think, as Theo alluded to there, I think that 3-2 that win last season against Forest at Anfield sort of epitomised sort of the the crisis, it, it, mini-crisis Liverpool were in, especially in terms of the midfield, and it felt like every game they were getting completely overrun. And yeah. I think, you know, it's a testament to, to the work they've done over the summer to bring in players to, to add that stability. And I think having legs in midfield makes such a difference, doesn't it? I mean... Dominic Sabozlai will win a lot of the plaudits from yesterday. I know we speak about him pretty much every week at the moment, but he just he looks every inch sort of destined to be a be a top Liverpool player for, for a very long time. He, he was excellent again yesterday. Uh, but I was really impressed with Virgil van Dijk, I've got mm-hmm. to say. I mean, of course he'll have far more, you know, testing games with with teams that offer far more of an attacking outlet, but just from from the word go yesterday I thought he was exceptional. I thought he looked good against Everton last week and I think sort of that that aura that he used to have, where players had come up against him and they just almost just just not fancy it, and you could tell, and he could just sort of, you know, just be shepherding players, 
you know, off the ball and just shielding the ball out of play and just making everything look so routine mm-hmm. and so easy. I thought he did that fantastically yesterday. I don't think he must, must have lost a, a single header for, for much of the game. I think obviously when one year came on near the end, he, that physical battle was, was a little bit more intense. But I think for, for the most part, you know, he just just made it look like a walk in, in the park really and I think that's just so integral to, to this Liverpool side as much as the midfield has been spoken about a lot this season I think if they know that they've got a centre-half with with Van Dijk's quality behind them and he's playing with confidence and you know he seems to have sort of grown an inch wearing the wearing that armband and you know it just it just seems to have really just just got not quite back to his best maybe but near near his best this season I think and yeah, I, I think he's been been exceptional. I thought he was brilliant again yesterday. It's interesting you say that. I, I've got this thing about Van Dyke where people say get back to his best, and I, I think his best two, three, four years ago, he's not going to reach that level because mm. he's no longer twenty nine years old, thirty years old, and and that is normal, isn't it? I mean, um, you know, none of us are as good as we are, we were when we were thirty. You thirty, yeah. I'm thirty one. Thirty one, yeah. You're not as good as you were when you're thirty. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it it. it you can't fight time, can you? But but what he what he can do is adapt his game, and and I think like you say, he's done that really well. You know, I think if if anyone tries to play a sort of aerial mm. battle with him, he he just that is easy for him. And getting that aura back is a big big thing because I, I remember when Van Dyke was in that real peak era, and the, probably the the moment that really stands out for me would be Sissoko at Anfield. Yeah, and you that, say where, where, where he, you know, and I look back at that and think we made more of that than probably it was. You know, in terms of. Van Dijk didn't really have to do a great deal and it was an awful shot and an awful run and chance on, from somebody who probably really didn't fancy himself to score. But but what was sort of built on the back of this was this sort of, this aura of a guy who like, players didn't even want to try and mm. run past him. They'd rather shoot from 30 yards and than make the chance easier for them. So if he can get back to having that aura, that's massive. And um it's massive for Liverpool when he's captained them as well. I think as well, you know, he, he's a victim of his own success, really. Yeah. I think, you know, had yeah. he come in in the summer and been putting in the performances that he's been putting oh, in yeah. now, you know, we've been, you know, the, the praise that gets heaped on, on William Saliba at Arsenal or Van der Ven at Tottenham, you know, obviously, rightly so, they've, they've been brilliant. But I think Van Dijk probably doesn't get mentioned in that conversation too often now because he isn't quite at the level that he was at a yeah. few years ago. But he's still, you know, I still think he, he is one of the best Centre halves in the world, you know. So yeah, I think it was it's great to see him sort of having adapted that ha- adapted his game a little bit, and I think some of that confidence that he was maybe lacking, and the whole team was lacking really last season, he's got that back. Let's not forget how high that level was as well. Yeah. Like he, he almost won the Ballon d'Or. If it wasn't for Messi, he would have. And let's be honest, most of us think he should have won it anyway. Uh, a defender hasn't won it since Cannavaro in 06 when he, he captained Italy to the World Cup. That's the level you need to do as a defender to get there. And for Van Dijk to be in touching distance against the greatest player of all time. You don't need to get to that level again. You're still going to be the best defender on the planet by an absolute mile. And he's had an ACL injury along the way. Maybe it robbed him a little bit of pace or not, and a bit of confidence. It takes he's, time he's to get back to his best. He's not pace anyway, was he? No, he's not. He's yeah. older. Yeah, he still yeah. was outpacing Alanga yesterday. He's obviously dominant in the air because he's such an imposing figure. His uh, distribution on the ball is so good as well. He's got all the attributes you want for a, be- a peak yeah. elite centre-back. And he-, he doesn't need to be as good as he was early on when Liverpool yeah. winning the Champions League because he is still the best by an absolute mile. I mean, I think there's another two things that, that, that come to mind for me as well. One, I think we're less forgiving with defenders in terms of, you know, like if, if you were con- constantly comparing Salah to his first 44-goal <laughs> season, you'd constantly say he's not as good as he was in that season. But we're a bit different with forwards, aren't we? We sort of praise their all-round game or we'll say, you know, that he's, 
that the team wasn't creating as many chances for them with defenders even though you know Liverpool's quality has got better and worse during that time or there's been players in front of him or beside him injured he's been injured himself it's it's almost like you expect defenders to keep this level and mm. and I found that you know that they were doing the top 10 pod the other day on a match of the day and they were they were talking about um Yapstam and and Van Dyke I just thought like they're so dismissive of the levels that Van Dyke mm. got to 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 remember Stam as like this really really great player and I, and I would like Stam a lot but I don't think he got anywhere near the levels that Van Dyke did. Um, we always dismiss and, and the players done. that are playing now and yeah. the ones yeah. that are yeah. playing on our doorstep. Yeah. Yeah. Like Stam is a better player because he was only at United for a couple of years yeah. and then he went to Italy and he was yeah. part of that great AC Milan defence. Yeah. If it stayed at United for ten years, you'd probably take him a bit more for granted. Yeah, it's like Vidic, those sorts of ilk. Like they're not perhaps remembered now as highly as they were at the time because it yeah. seemed really yeah. overhyped at the time. Yeah. You have to take that step back to really appreciate them. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Whether it's the legendary Lionesses, grassroots or expert analysis of the women's leagues, Women's Football News has it all covered. A brand new monthly magazine packed with news, interviews and expert opinion. Don't miss Women's Football News. Pick up a copy today from participating retailers. Women's Football is here to stay and so are we. I think we're really quick as well. In, in football to go he's finished we love to do that don't yeah. we he's finished or or he's no good you know like let's face it Darwin Nunes went through that last season a lot and is still trying to fight through that yeah. and by the way one listener did say say Rimmer is always slagging off Darwin Nunes which I think is quite bizarre because <laughs> I, I, I really like Darwin Nunes and you know, just maybe we were just talking yeah yeah but but um but um yeah I mean we love to make these grand grandiose statements don't we like he's finished He's not good enough. He's overhyped. He's underrated. And, and I think with Van Dyke, there's the, been this chase to go, he's done. And he's nowhere near done. I mean, uh, he, he should be praised for the levels he's reaching. Like you said, if he'd signed in the summer um, at the age of, what, 32 now and, and taking on Liverpool captaincy, he's been superb this season. So it's good to see him getting praise. Um, let's talk Dominic Sabozlai. You know who gets a lot of praise and is now one of those people who's just signed and we're praising him loads. Um, they are the simple things. I just think he does so so well. I mean, he does everything really well. But you know the 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 pass, the move, the run for the goal, and the, the little triangles. And they they brought this up on match of the day. But just the little triangles and the partnerships that he's forged with with Salah and, and Nunes looked a real weapon for Liverpool. And I was just really impressed by the simplicity of his game yesterday. Yeah, he's such an intelligent player. There's mm-hmm. so many times where he's on that right hand side making that little run on for Salah to pick out him and then he can put the crosses in uh, and he just does it all so well and it looks so easy like, I'm not sure if you saw the quotes from him like we got kicked off our, our charity game for Dan last week so he could do something <laughs> for Nike <laughs> yeah, yeah. but the quotes from that interview yeah, he was yeah. doing for Nike uh, came out and he was saying yeah I'm pretty much good at everything but yeah. I want to keep getting better and better yeah, yeah. Like, I, I, this is why I run this is why I want to score this yeah. is why I want to assist and it just like came across really well and you can see that in him he's got such a a belief in his abilities, mm-hmm. but he knows this is just the start as well. And he is such a, a good talent. Um, it, it was a surprise that he hadn't actually got an assist, was it? Uh, uh, yeah, yesterday was yeah. his first two assists for Liverpool and quite a variety to them, like just that good movement set up the first one for Nunes, but then such a good diagonal ball that Forrest made a, a joke out of yeah, <laughs> the, the little yeah. mess up at the back. But it, it's exciting to watch him and you know he's going to get so much better. It's like almost, why were teams not fighting for him? Mm. Like Liverpool have only gone for him because... Mason Mount was too expensive because Jude Bellingham was too expensive and it's like oh who can we get there's a release clause that expires in 48 hours can we go now 
It's like surely City or someone like that should have been rivaling them rather than just poaching them off Newcastle. But no complaints there that Liverpool ones that won the race. Do you think that that is Beth like the blessing of, and cares of a release clause? You know, you know you can get them for a certain amount, but you know if you get Mount, you might be able to pay twenty million this summer. Then however much via add-ons. So Liverpool do deserve praise for taking that gamble to mm-hmm. just activate that move quickly and get it done. Yeah, I think definitely. I think it was, you know, I think fans were excited when when it was confirmed that he was coming to Liverpool. But I think, you know, in the wake of the whole Bellingham saga mm-hmm. and Mason Mount reportedly choosing United over Liverpool, I think, you know, it, there were probably some people who looked at it as, you know, is it a bit of a panic buy or is it, you know, is he maybe a little bit of a consolation prize in comparison to some of the players that Liverpool could have brought in? And I think now, you know, Jude Bellingham, don't get me wrong, is, is an exceptional talent. I would love to see him in a Liverpool shirt. But I yeah. think, you know, the, the reason obviously the club gave for, for not pursuing him was that they wanted to bring in, you know, a greater number of players for, for that same value. And you look at the signings that, that Liverpool have made over the summer and you can't you can't argue with that really. And I think Zabozlai, I don't think there's this many midfielders on the planet sort of in his age bracket that have the, the ceiling that, that he has. And I think, you know, as Theo mentioned there, I think in football there's a fine line between confidence and arrogance. But you, you almost, when you play for a club like Liverpool, one of the biggest clubs in the world, a club that wants to be competing for trophies, you know, year in, year out, you need to have a little bit of arrogance and a bit of swagger about you. Mm-hmm. And he's got that in abundance without it being sort of abrasive and, and, and too in your face. So, yeah, I think he's, he's brilliant and I think the club deserve it. You know, you can say, oh, it was only activating a release clause, but you know, there weren't many teams in from you know yeah. from from what we what we hear. So I'm yeah. certain that release clause would have scared off a few teams. I mean, yeah. Newcastle couldn't get it done for that reason, could mm-hmm. they? I think they needed to go below the release clause. So. Yeah, he's the sort of player. If City had got him, I'd be be sat there going, oh, they've yeah. got another one. And yeah. I, I think Liverpool have. I think I've said this before on the pod, but I think even under a peak under Jurgen Klopp, the one thing they've been lacking is that real sort of. You know, Rolls Royce of a midfielder, that real sort of quality quality player who you just look at and just you know are drawn to. And I think he is that, and hopefully he continues to sort of live up to that billing and, and grow in, in potential. I wonder if his nationality counted against him a little bit in the sense mm-hmm. of if he was Croatian, everyone competes for him because the Croatians have got this such a school of great and quality yeah, players. Yeah, like everyone was fighting for Cavadio, but Hungary, he is. What their greatest player since Puskas, but not got that reputation, and maybe he'll go and now kickstart this reputation of we've got some seriously talented yeah. players here. But Liverpool, because they haven't had that competition, can pounce and then give them this platform. Yeah, he did say that himself. Sorry, he did say that himself in an interview with the, I think it was with the Premier League the other week. He said, "If you're from Hungary, you've got to work harder." So he acknowledged mm-hmm. that himself. And yeah, I think that's maybe, you know, I think he said if it was from Spain, if it was from Germany, it might be a slightly different thing, but. In a way, that's worked in Liverpool's favour. I think it's interesting what you said about if he'd have gone to City and they've had a lot of players and in Pep's time, I mean, they really technical that operate between mm-hmm. the lines and that they can play little one twos and work it into areas. And Liverpool have been a very different from that. You know, they, their three midfielders by and large have been workers who who get the ball to the fullbacks, who who bring the the front three into into action. And, and Firmino maybe is the technical guy who dropped deep, but it was interesting. And I thought the way Sabozlai played yesterday. You know, he, he can drift out to the touchline, he can come in, he can do a bit of everything. But it's that technical ability mm. just outside the box and the way he moves the ball, you know, and, and the Nunes goal. It's the sort of goal I want to see Liverpool score more often. You know, just a little bit of a, what looks like quite simple play, one-two with Salah into that channel and then playing it across for Nunes to, to get a tap in. So, yeah, I mean... I dread to think what would have happened if he'd gone to City, but he does have that technical ability to yeah. play in those in those areas that Liverpool City, haven't got. They've got 
the other Nunes, didn't they? The one from yeah. Wolves, the technical yeah. player. And he was a player Liverpool yeah, were looking true. at back yeah. in January. And it, there was that talk at the time that he could be the one they signed. Aren't you glad that they never followed yeah, that up? Yeah. That he'd already made one move the season yeah. so he couldn't get him last year. Because Sabosli's like streets ahead. Like Granted, yeah. we're seeing Sabosli every week yeah. contributing at both ends of the pitch. And yeah. Nunes is just an expensive squad player for City. Yeah. But uh, you've got to give credit to the recruitment team there. But whatever their private order was of transfer targets, they found another gem. Yeah, well, we're talking on recruitment and I'll come on to it in a bit. Because I... Cause I, I I've got jotted down with Pad Neville because I, I can't help. But I, I mean, I just thought with the narrative, Liverpool quietly going about their business yesterday, quietly going about having a really good start to the season. I think if you contrast that to United, who obviously seemed to think that they'd taken their place back into the into the top four. Uh, but we'll come to that because I want to talk about some other players first. Um, I want to um, talk about Darwin Nunes because, again central to pretty much everything good Liverpool did in attack yesterday um, I know I'm notoriously negative about Nunes but but I, I mean Theo I thought even the little snapshots the little, there's, there was a chance wasn't there in the first half where he sort of just just didn't make connection with it but it's the fact he's always in those areas and he's pulling defenders different ways he's just a menace isn't he you know, and he must be so hard to play against and he gives Liverpool an unpredictability that I don't think they've had now for several years yeah definitely there was one moment I think it was in the second, no, the first half, where he's just taken a really heavy touch, miscontrolled it, and he's got like two defenders against him. He wins it back, another heavy touch loses it, and it was just fighting in the corner for it. And it's like, well, it's almost like a Rigi, but with a bit more quality, and he's unpredictable because he doesn't know what he's going to do with yeah. it, but it's effective. Yeah. And it's working for Liverpool's benefits. You know, it's still a very raw talent. That He's not the finished product. He still needs to polish off all of it, but the tools are there. Like he still retains possession. He's got his arms out. He's making these powerful runs. Defenders must hate playing against him. And he, he's effective. He's getting goals. He's getting assists. Like You might miss a couple, but he's still doing the business at the, the right end of the table. Uh, right end of the pitch, sorry. And at this point, you'd say he should be Liverpool's first choice number nine. Like Gapo, really effective. Does that Firmino role well. And if you've got your wingers providing goals, maybe in your Champions League final, here's the one you start. But Nunes, he's a match winner. He's the one that excites everyone and makes things happen. You want to see more of that. You want to see him keep getting better and better and add to the run. He can break teams like Forrest down as well. I mean, just again, to reiterate, the the rawness that you were talking about is when I came across as negative perhaps the other day. I didn't mean to come across negative. I just was saying that if Liverpool can can polish that rawness, Mm. if they can get him a little bit... You know, I really thought the goal that he scored, Beth, was really encouraging because... It was a team move. It didn't come out of nothing. Sometimes I think Nunes does as an inspired moment, which is is great. But you want him to be sort of knocking in more goals from the end of team moves, from getting involved in every stage of play. And um, I thought that that was really encouraging um, at the weekend. And and I'd like them to play him more often to play him into that system, if that makes sense. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Yeah, I mean, it does sound a bit cliched when you say that, you know, he's getting in the right areas. I think, you yeah. know, you always say that about strikers, don't you, particularly when they're not scoring. But I think he, he is. And, um, yeah, like you say, it was nice. It wasn't sort of a a wonder goal out, of, out mm-hmm. of nowhere. He was very much, I mean, he was involved in the first goal, obviously, yeah. wasn't he? It's, it's his shot that's parried out into the into the path of Jota. And then, yeah, it was, he was... Do you get an assist for that? Don't get, do you? No. On Fantasy Premier League, yes. On Opta, yeah. no. yeah. I, I, I should take over up there. I guess. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so he, he was involved in that one, and then you know was was in exactly the right place to 
to, to tap it home. And yeah, I think, I mean, I've never, I don't think I've ever seen a, a player that's adored so vocally by, by yeah. the fan base. Yeah. I mean, you know, you see, even if he's on the bench, he's, he's the player who's getting the most support from the fans. And I think, you know, for him, particularly considering last season was quite difficult for him in terms of the criticism that he was getting. Yeah. And, you know, all of us sort of questioning, is he the right man for Liverpool? To now have that support week in, week out, you can tell it just means so much to him. And I think that's why Liverpool fans just want him to succeed so much because you can see how much he wants it and how much he's trying. And I think, you know, off the pitch, it seems like he's, you know, very much bedded in now to this mm -hmm. team. And I think that's translating to, to on the pitch, as you say, I think he's, is central to, to pretty much everything Liverpool do in an attacking sense. And there were a couple of times yesterday, I thought as well, he was he, he tracked back, he was dropping deep. He was, oh, you know, he wasn't just sort never of... Never his work. No. Um, you know, and obviously, you know, Erling Haaland's an absolute machine. We saw that again in, in the Manchester derby yesterday. But I think, you know, sometimes he maybe has it levelled at him that he's not involved as much in City's overall game. And I think actually that's one thing that I think certainly Jurgen Klopp will have been impressed with with Nunes this season is is the fact that he is, you know, he's not not scared to get stuck in. And, and yeah, I think he's definitely an improvement from, from last season and hopefully it will only continue to, to get better and better. And that's the thing with Nunes, isn't it? He's such a talking point and we do end up I think we discuss him on almost every pod now. Yeah. But because you I slamming feel, him on every podcast. Oh, me slamming him on every pod, you know. Um, it's, I, I, the weirdest thing, he probably is my favourite Liverpool player at the moment. <laughs> I love watching him. He's he's entertaining. I love his spirit. I love his work rate. Um, but I, I think the thing about Nunes is that is just his, le his, his ceiling is so high. Yeah. You know, if you look at it now, it feels like he's getting one every other game now for Liverpool. He, he seems to be now a regular goal scorer. But I don't see any reason why those ones can't become twos and can't become threes. Mm -hmm. Like like Salah has sort of has taken that level. I don't think Nunes is that far behind. It's just about being settled in the team, being settled into those team moves that will create more more easier chances for him, um, and just being slightly more consistent with with some of his finishing. And I don't think he'll ever be a guy who scores every single chance. But neither is Haaland, neither was Salah. That that that's sort of a myth, isn't it? It's just getting him more of those opportunities will will deliver more goals. And in football, we always loved the flawed hero, the yeah, one that's yeah. had to overcome the adversity. Yeah. Who isn't perfect by any means. Yeah. You can see the mistakes there, but they always give the rule. And there's always that story around them, narrative yeah. around them. Suarez was that, for example. He was raw when he first came yeah, to Liverpool. Yeah. Going back further, you can think of Cantona. He's obviously a bit of a hothead yeah, at United. Yeah, yeah. But that's what makes you love them more. Yeah. Like, yeah, Haaland, he's a robot. He's getting all these goals. But as a from a Liverpool point of view, you wouldn't swap them. You, yeah. you don't want a striker that's just in the box, not really contributing. He's just a bit dull, isn't he? He scores every yeah, yeah, He's yeah. not getting involved with his elbows. Like He's not being this nasty menace. You don't don't be wrong, I, I wouldn't mind. Yeah, I, would I, I think I would take that dull, that dull hat-trick every week, Harlan. <laughs> but yeah, no, I know what you mean. He's not, He's not. I mean, he came on, he was doing his interview yesterday after the game. He's just boring, isn't he? He probably goes home, drinks a protein shake and gets 15 hours sleeping and gets up and trains and eats 12 eggs and all that. So, I mean, <laughs> Nunes 20, 30 years ago, he's out on the town. He's having yeah, a really good time. He's more of an athlete yeah. now. But <laughs> yeah, no, no, but he's he's great. He's great to watch, and, and um, he's he's really sort of. I just think his, his ceiling is so high. Um, another player whose ceiling is so high is, is Ryan Gravenberch, who, um, who again Theo yesterday impressed. I mean, do you see that trio in midfield sort of nailing themselves down now? Even though Curtis Jones is coming back. Uh, Yes and no. I, I don't think you can ever have a, a nailed down first choice Liverpool midfield now. Like there's always been chopping and changing mm -hmm. right the way back to when it was Henderson, Fabinho, when Alden, when they were winning everything. Mm -hmm. 
But now the players, they're so young and they've got such strengths and tributes. You don't want it to be three. You want them to be pushing each other on. And there's always going to be that question mark on, is McAllister a long choice number six? I know Klopp's come out and said, this is why we play in there. Now you're seeing what we're seeing. We don't ask the question that he's not suited there. But they have got real competition for those number eight places now. They've got four or five players that are really pushing on. It doesn't really matter who starts. They're going to make the final, uh, make it all count in the final third. And they've got the work rate to get back. But Graven Birch, when he's so young, like you can, like we said them last week, you can see he's just enjoying his football now. It's like he slipped through Bayern Munich's fingers and it's been a blessing for Liverpool. Um, withdrawn, what, just before the hour mark along with Jota. That's probably because they were two of only three players that started all three games this week. Whether that means he keeps his place against Bournemouth, we'll see. But yeah, he's making a difference and he's another one. He's not quite like Sabosli, but he's offering something that Liverpool haven't had in midfield in terms of carrying the ball forward, being able to retain position and make things happen in that final third. And you just want to see him play and really develop because what we were saying when you're eyeing up a Bellingham, oh, he could be linchpin in this Liverpool midfield for 10 years. Well, Gravenberch is young enough to do the exact same thing. I mean... We talked about Liverpool's recruitment and gave them credit for getting to Bosley, 40 million on Gravenberch. I mean, they pursued him all summer. They stuck to their guns. There might have been some question marks around him because he didn't seem to impress it at Bayern Munich, Beth. But surely they deserve credit for sticking to that. And, and they look like they've got another player with such a high ceiling. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I feel like I maybe questioned it a little bit, not necessarily because of Gravenberch himself, but just because I felt like... Liverpool needs to bring in someone with more of a, a defensive profile and you know, I, I was quite frustrated that, that they hadn't gone out and, and bought in that, that number six. Um, obviously they brought in Endo but we know he's sort of had a mixed start to, to life on Merseyside so I was sort of questioning slightly, you know, why why has this money been invested into a, a player in a position where Liverpool are already pretty well stocked but I think you look at him now and you think the money that they paid for him, he looks like an absolute steal, doesn't he, in, in today's market um, because he is a player with, again, with a very high ceiling, a player who you know, gets you out of your seat a little bit. And, you know, I know you said the other week, he, maybe sometimes he holds onto the ball a little bit too much yeah. or, you know, sometimes those little turns that he yeah, does, yeah. You, you think you want to see maybe a little bit more drive, a little bit more end product. But I think he, he is so exciting and so tidy on the ball. And I think, you know, partnered with, with Sabozlai and, and McAllister in midfield, I think he, he really shines. I mean, I think against sort of probably 10, 15 teams in the league, that would be my first choice midfield because I think, you know, a lot of teams will sit back and you'll have to try and break them down in the way that, that Forest, Liverpool had to with Forest yesterday. I think against, you know, the Manchester Cities and the Arsenals, I'd maybe want McAllister a bit further forward and, mm-hmm. and then, you know, who do you put in that, that number six role? Um, but yeah, Graven Birch, I've been massively impressed with him and I think it's, you know, credit to to him and, and how much he must be, how highly he must be thought of by Jürgen Klopp, the fact that he has started the last three games in a row. Yeah, well, uh- what Beth was saying there about the midfield, it's a good midfield, isn't it, now? And Liverpool have seemed to have... And I, I feel like they, they've done this on purpose in the summer, is they've gone out and, and constructed a midfield that is capable of breaking down teams mm. that come and sit in, is capable of being a bit more unpredictable, is capable of, of playing little balls in between the lines. Is, is that... McAllister obviously had a really good game yesterday. Is that where McAllister in a six kind of works? When you're at home, you're against a team like Forrest that are sitting a bit deeper you can get him on the ball a bit and, and try and get him to play a few more killer passes. Yeah, I'd say so. It's basically what Liverpool are looking to sign when they sign Thiago. Yeah. That player who you can win the tackle, you can get the ball back, but you know his main strength is getting the ball forward, yeah. making those killer passes. And I'm not saying McAllister's going to be an elite talent like Thiago has been throughout his career, but he's still a World Cup winner who's done so oh, much yeah. um, already. And he's still so young, he's what, 24? Like, he does make things happen 
going forward as well. And there's a little risk at times if you get caught out on the break and your number six is running forward. But when you've got that ability on the ball and you're so calm and you keep hold of it, then you're difficult to play against. Mm-hmm. And against these teams that do see, sit deep, it helps having that extra body in there. You know you've still got Trent maybe covering you if mm-hmm. he's gone into midfield or one of the centre-backs pushing forward. It's a risk Liverpool can afford to take. And it's one that we they were criticised in the past for not being able to break down those teams when they were having the frustrating draws. Like, granted, you go into Man City in a few weeks, you'd be surprised if you go for that sort of midfield. You'd want something a bit more conservative, a bit more control in there. But against, like I said, these sorts of teams, the Forests, when they come into Anfield, they're sitting deep. You've got more time in the ball. You can take that risk. McAllister, it'll be interesting to see what actually happens now over the next few weeks. Like Andre's come out and done an interview in Brazil, hasn't mm-hmm. he, saying basically he turned down Liverpool, but he doesn't know what will happen in January. Mm-hmm. It could happen. We expect him to go for a, another number six at some point. Thiago's out of contracts next summer. You expect him to move on. There is potentially another midfield vacancy mm-hmm. there, and you would like to see them get a natural number six. Endo could have a great season and take that place, but he's still wrong side of 30. He's not going to be there forever. You're waiting for Pesetic to come back from injury. But when we're going through all these options, it shows how strong the midfield is. Like Curtis Jones was superb for six months, and then he goes and gets this red card, and it's like, right, that's you done now. And he was really good, player. by the way, in the game before the West Ham game. I thought it was one of his best games. For he was. Yeah. No, Elliot, he's been brilliant whenever yeah. he comes yeah. off the bench. Like, just the fact that you can't choose the midfield now, and you think, oh, we'll just go for McAllister, Sabosli, Gravenberch, because it's, what, £100 million plus of talent they've just mm-hmm. signed. It's the shiny new toys, so you forget what you already have. But it's reason to be exciting. There's also this narrative, Gravenberch, going on side points slightly here, that he was a last bar signing. It was a sign of desperation from Liverpool because they hadn't got the number six they wanted. They got a bit of money sitting in the pocket and, oh, we can make it happen now. Not at all. They asked the question for him in January. We were told he wasn't going. They had talks with the agent in January with his family in April. That was a transfer that gets done right at the start of the summer. If Bayern Munich say at the start of the summer, yes, you can have him. Yeah. Bayern Munich were the ones who dug in deep and took him until the end of August to say, OK, you can go. Yeah. This is a player Liverpool have wanted for a long, long time. And now all together, they've got a really exciting midfield. And while you might get a transitional period at the end of it, don't have to worry about that for eight, ten years. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Yeah, and I think Liverpool deserve credit for going at it all summer. You know, some clubs, and I'm sure United were interested in, in Gravenberch because Ten Hag had coached them before and they had been linked quite heavily. But Liverpool never walked away from that deal. You know, that they obviously stayed stayed in contact with Bayern right until the end and sort of, I mean, you look at it, really, Bayern, they didn't sign anyone, you know, they missed out on Polina, didn't they, afterwards? And and Liverpool sort of forced their hand in the end and um, I'm fair play to them for doing that and taking a chance because, you know, it looks like um, it looks like a chance well taken anyway. Um, I do, I mean, did either of you, obviously you both making a new had car trouble, so I know you went <laughs> home from Anfield, I don't know whether you were home. Um, Sean and I um, were in the office Doing doing the Forest game and then watching the uh, the Manchester derby afterwards and you know, I, I said to Sean afterwards at what point will Neville go on his Glazers rant and, and blame that all on the Glazers I don't know did either of you see it Yeah I've not seen the footage I've seen the tweet this morning yeah. yeah and then he had a big row with, with Jamie Carragher which was just Carragher was just winding him up wasn't he slowly slowly but he, he, was, he, he was speaking truth speaking the yeah, truth but. yeah and and I thought it was it was interesting because I because I. And I, I don't want to talk about United on a Liverpool podcast, but I think I always look at the two clubs as quite intertwined. They never, they never seem to do well at the same time, which is interesting. Two thousand nine probably is the one that sticks out there. But but 
what I find really interesting is going into the summer, the narrative is that United were back, they had this great young coach, they were back to punching upwards and, and really like creating a team, they were back in the Champions League. And Liverpool were, at the end of a cycle, had a coach who was lacking maybe new ideas. I don't think Klopp was particularly written off that quickly, but I, but I do think... So he'd lost some of his passion yeah, for it. Yeah, lost some of his passion. They were, they were getting rid of old players, they weren't as good as they were. And I remember thinking at the start of the summer, Liverpool will get better, United will get worse. And you look at their recruitment, and that, that's where I think is the comparison, that Mason Mount was a player that, that Liverpool obviously looked at. Um, Amrabat, I mean, was a player that was linked with Liverpool all summer. I don't think they ever genuinely considered him, but the fact he's at United sort of speaks volumes. You're not surprised um, that that's where he went. Yeah, I mean, Liverpool needed a defender, United needed a defender, neither of them got one, but Liverpool seems to have planned for the future much better in that department. Liverpool have revamped their midfield much better than United have managed. Liverpool got Gravenberch, United were interested, so Bosley, I mean, they, they must look at that and think, how did they miss out on that? I mean, I just I, I just find it interesting, the sliding doors elements of it, Beth. And listening to Neville moan about the Glazers, when Liverpool's owners, I mean, they've been through the worst owners with Hicks and Gillette, and Liverpool's owners have had a lot of questions thrown at them. Um, I, I, I don't really have a question. I just have an yeah. observation and I'm wondering whether you agree. Yeah, I think I was having a conversation actually earlier on and I said, um, you know, I think sometimes as a United player and a United manager, you have a sort of a get out of jail free card because as soon as things start mm. going wrong, the Glazers are the first yeah. thing that comes up and I think for as long as they are in power, yeah. then that will always be the case. And I think that sometimes, you know, I think if Ten Hag was at a club that had a, you know, a really stable sort of ownership and, and was doing well, and I think he'd be, be under far more pressure than he is at this moment in time. You know, he still feels like a new manager, but he's obviously been, has he been there for a year now? A year and a half. Months, Eight, you know, coming up yeah, to. Yeah, coming up to. Uh, you know, that's, that's a long time in football to, yeah. to be able to sort of at least implement sort of a discernible identity and a way of playing. And I think sort of last season, I was saying to, to Wheeler in the office earlier that, that you know, I think all this talk last season about United being back was a little bit premature. I think United yeah. probably benefited from the fact that Liverpool were very poor last yeah, season. Yeah. And, you know, even Liverpool at the very worst beat them 7-0 at Anfield. And I think it, it just for, for a long time, and it is quite amazing that they've been a, they've been like this for so long, is I just feel like United just lack black fights. They just lack, like, as soon as anything starts to go against them, the players just don't look interested. And it's been the same for... You know, it's been different crops of players over the last five, ten years, but it's been that that theme has seemed to persist. And yeah, I, I mean, I'm not saying that they're going to go on and have a disastrous season because I always feel like United ends up having some sort of purple patch at some point, and you know they possibly will get that again this season. But I think sort of long term, you look at there's no strategy, there's no, and you know maybe that's where Gary Neville is right. Maybe it is above the manager that there's, you know, it's been the same crop of players that, that you know, the same problems cropping up every every few years but yeah I think it is it's a testament to sort of Liverpool quietly going about their business and I think a lot of people you know probably have ri had written Liverpool off coming into the season and maybe still now don't see them as, as true title contenders I'm not entirely sure that they will be, be lifting the title come May but I think they'll be in the mix certainly I think mm. you know Tottenham and, and Arsenal yes they will be up there but I think if you had to sort of if I had to pick any side that would push City all the way this season I'd probably say Liverpool because I think the quality they have Couple with the experience that they have, you know, I just don't think they can be can be written off. Um, but yeah, it is it is sort of mad that, that United is still in this situation where, 
you know, this, this seems to be in a, a mini crisis yet again. It was only sort yeah. of the start of last season after that Brentford defeat. All of this was yeah. was sort of rife. So yeah, it's, every few months it seems yeah. like a mini crisis. What I like about the mini crisis is they do win a game and it's like, oh, it's all right again. Yeah. Ten Hag's going to turn it around. It's big Copenhagen one 0 Yeah, but yeah. United are a mess. They've been a mess for a while. I, I did buy into the the business, and I'm thinking they've actually signed some good players here uh, that they could be taking that next steps because Rashford had such a good season. You thought mm-hmm. he's this big target yeah. like he's going to drag them over the line Mason Mount was a good signing but you look at the rest of it and it just hasn't worked for them like that dressing room is broken it has been for some yeah. time they don't have leaders that can unify them they're just falling out with each other and the transfer policy is a bit of a mess as well like Holland he's the sort of striker you'd say maybe Liverpool would have looked at if they wanted yeah. on you know that young profile raw but he's going to get better there's a talent there but then they'll go and sign some old centre-back like Johnny Evans on a free. They're scrambling around for a left-back because they've got injuries. It's just, oh, we need players. What can we get? And it just makes it a bit of a mess. And the dressing room, it's not unified. We've seen them fall out with, like, whether it's Jaden Sancho with the manager and the players apparently aren't backing him up and some are. And you've got Mason Greenwood, you've got Anthony, all this messiness behind the scenes. You can go into deeper detail on that on the Manchester United podcast. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. But, but you compare and contrast some of these situations with Liverpool, and I th- find it funny the scrutiny that's on Darwin Nunes, for example. Mm. And then you look at the way they've constructed their attack in the last few years. I mean, 80 odd million on, on Anthony, who has just been an abject failure from the word go. Jaden Sancho, I'm fairly certain, with a better coach. You know, he, he did he did really well at Dortmund. He goes you know, Liverpool, he does well. I'm sure he does. You know, and we know Klopp liked him a lot, and I, and I think Dortmund did great with him. There was something not right there. And I think that this idea that Ten Hag was this messiah who came in, and I think was just been overblown. You don't get beaten seven 0 by your rivals. Um, I, I, I think Is there Ronaldo in there as I well. I think that's criminal to go and allow that to happen. So I, there's a lot, there's a lot that goes on. But I just find it interesting that some of the managerial decisions and signings don't get questions as much mm. as the Glazers. And don't get me wrong, the Glazers have been poor off the club. But if you look at FSG, I'm sure FSG would be fielding a lot of the sim- similar questions. All right, not the debt stuff, but a lot of similar questions. But the big thing they got right was Klopp. And, um, yeah, it does Klopp come down to the manager, the don't you? Right. We go, Arsenal, Tottenham. Their ownerships have had lots of criticism yeah. in the past. Yeah. They've gone through the managers. You go, that is not the right man. It's yeah. not unified. When things go against us, we down tools. Yeah. But now in Arteta and Postelogu, they both seem to have got yeah. it right. Yeah. You're not asking about the Arsenal ownership. You're not asking about Daniel Levy because mm-hmm. it's going right on the pitch. Yeah. The manager is in control. He is that figure who takes all responsibility, who every player respects, and do what he does, mm-hmm. wants them to do, will go to war for him, then everything is at peace, yeah. it's all fine. Yeah. Ten Hag, even though he's supposed to be this great manager in Holland, he never seems to have had that respect. The fact that players have been free to go and do interviews with Piers Morgan and basically belittling him or have disagreements and go to social media and say, oh, he's got that wrong, he's talking rubbish. Like, if there's not that respect there from players that cost them a lot of money, how are they supposed to get it right behind the scenes and with the owners as well? And, and I also think, I had a, an not United, not an argument, a debate, but the United <laughs> fan yesterday about, and he said, you know, but you've always had a good transfer strategy. And I said, well, hang on, before Klopp came in, if you remember, Michael Edwards sat on the transfer committee and there was a lot of debate about whether the transfer mm. committee was any good. You know, there was, they got stick for signing Firmino when Ben Teke came in. And, the manager made that work as much as... I mean, don't get me wrong, I think Mike Edwards was phenomenal for Liverpool, but it's no coincidence that that clicked when Klopp came in. 
because good managers work with those systems and make them work and, and coach those players and make them better. So I just thought it was an interesting debate. Theo, you're checking your watch. So we'll, um, no, that was we'll, uh, oh, okay. <laughs> we'll, um, we'll quickly move on to the League Cup. Obviously, Bournemouth next. Um, plenty of changes. It's a good chance, isn't it, for the likes of Endo to play against the Premier League team, Theo, and, and, um, and, and a good test for them. Um, how important is the League Cup to Liverpool this season? If you get through this, it's very get important because right. then you're like a few games away from Wembley. And we saw how important that was in the the quadruple push year because yeah. it's like oh suddenly we can smell a trophy, you can smell that trip yeah. to Wembley. And it's not as though that team that won the League Cup two years ago they'd already won the Premier League, they'd already yeah. won the Champions League. This is a very young team with players that haven't won anything before, new players at Liverpool or young players at Liverpool were on the fringes a couple of years ago. This first piece of silverware, if they can get it in the League Cup or whatever, be massive for them because now they can say we have won something in Liverpool and we've been key to it. Mm-hmm. You want them to take those next steps. And you look at some of the teams that have already been knocked out of the League Cup or are playing against each mm-hmm. other in the fourth round, there is a real chance here if you get a good draw in the quarterfinals to go all the way. Like You can't take it for granted. And it, it works quite nicely with the Europa League yeah. that the strength of Liverpool squad is they can make eight changes, seven yeah. changes each week, have a midweek team, have a weekend team and they're still winning games. Like because what we're seeing against Toulouse, Union and Lask, you have no doubts that Klopp can make eight changes and Liverpool will still be too good for Bournemouth. Yeah. So it's another step in that right direction. Go out, try and target the League Cup. And then we know they're going out for Europa League. Why not target the FA Cup as well? Let's do a, a recreation of the treble year in 2001. And if City don't have buffle the Premier League, we'll make it a quadruple there. But yeah, that's, nice that, that's maybe a yeah. too far away. But yeah. you know what I mean with the, these trophies. You do want to go as far in them as all of them. And when you've got that squad depth now, you don't need to prioritise one over the other. It's yeah. just all these players grabbing the opportunities with both hands and saying why they should be starting the next game. I'm not going to bother with picking teams and predictions. But Beth, I am going to ask you about LFC women. I know it's the international break. Mm-hmm. But um, so I feel your pain. Um, we have to sit through it as well. Um, but that was a bad injury blow. Uh, yeah. So it was confirmed this morning that that Kerry Holland um, is withdrawn from international duty with Wales. She looks to have picked up a calf injury, so she'll be getting a getting a scan on that today. Um, but you know, obviously, when someone's going for a scan, it doesn't very very. Very rarely yields good news, does it, when someone's been been sent for an MRI? So yeah, that will be a big blow for for Liverpool if she's out because I think since since they came back up to the WSL last season, I think she's been probably the most consistent player. Yeah. She won Player of the Year last season as well. Um, so yeah, hugely disappointing. And and you know Matt Beard will be hoping that it's not too serious. They've got a tricky run of games coming up. They've got Leicester at home on on Sunday, um, which you know Leicester didn't have a great season last year, but have been sort of completely revitalise mm-hmm. this, this season so that'll be a tricky game um, they've got Tottenham who've, who similar to, to the men's team have got a new manager in and seem to have had a bit of a mm. of a resurgence so that'll be a tricky game and then Chelsea at Stamford Bridge so they've got a real sort of tough run of games coming up and um, you know they, they've started the season really well to be fair I think you know they, they probably could have had and should have had some more points on the board than they do but they've got two big wins against Arsenal and Aston Villa and I think now sort of the difficulty is proving that they, they've progressed from last season when they finished seventh. You know, yeah. you want to be closing that gap on the on the top four, and you know, I think they have the ability to do that. It's just finding that consistency, and obviously, sort of injuries like the, yeah. the one to Kerry Holland won't help. And the women the same as the men in terms of a player gets an injury and say, "Oh, they'll be all right," and then it's ten months later in Tiago. <laughs> yeah, but to be fair, there are a couple. There are a couple who uh, have been on the sidelines for a little while, but um, but yeah, hopefully it's it's not too serious because I think the Liverpool's probably biggest strength is their midfield, and they've had that sort of real settled unit in there um, for sort of the last sort of six to six to twelve months. So um, yeah, hopefully it's not too serious. 
we'll end the pod um, with a note, Theo, on, on Luis Diaz, who um, at the time recording, um, the search goes on for his father uh, in Colombia. Um, I think just wish him all the best and, and hope that that comes to a successful conclu- conclusion. Yeah, definitely. As as possible. There was um, a nice video the club put out last week before all this happened. It was the anniversary of You'll Never Walk Alone and, you know, Klopp mm-hmm. watching all the old clips yeah. and saying how moving the song yeah. was. And it certainly feels even more fitting now, doesn't it? Like, yeah. Lewis Diaz, you won't walk alone. Your family won't walk alone. Mm-hmm. Like, you've got the entire Liverpool fan base behind you. You've got your, your teammates, your manager behind you. All football fans, just all human beings, wanting this positive resolution as quickly as possible. Like we said at the start of the podcast, football feels secondary here. No one was really bothered massively about the Forest game. Mm-hmm. You're, you're all checking your phone every so often going, have they found his father yet? Yeah. Like, you're all happy for him that his mother's been found but you want it resolved as quickly as possible so the Diaz family can yeah. move forward and he's back in Colombia isn't he at the moment I don't think he is I think he's stayed right? over here like just yeah. what their discussions with the police yeah. um, we'll wait and see whether they find him in time for yeah. him to be available for Wednesday but then if you're Luis Diaz even if they find your father yeah, you want to go and be with your maybe parents. go and be with your family yeah. everyone's yeah. going to understand that if yeah. he has a, a few weeks off you're just you're not worried about the football you're not worried whether you see him this month, next month, whatever. You yeah. just want him to have his family back together in one piece. Absolutely. Um, before we go, I just want to mention um, our LFC app, which is out on um, Apple and is coming this week on Android. Um, you can listen to all the podcasts there. It's a really, really good app. Um, you can download it for free, read all the articles, listen to our pods. You can have them on in the background, just like any any good podcast um, platform. Um, and then there's going to be a paid for element of it as well, um, which we can get exclusive exclusive pieces more in-depth pieces and then um, hopefully some exclusive pods as well going forward um, for um, 20 pound a year so really recommend it um, there's no ads on there it's um, it's a really great app stop laughing Beth um, it's a really great app and um, I use it all the time and um, I really do recommend it so um, yeah give it a download and um, we'll be back on Friday to discuss the great world's greatest cup competition the league cup and look ahead to the Luton game we'll see you then That's all right. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.